Blog Talk Radio. December 11th, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and today's episode is entitled Pain, Danger, and Enemies, and some of you may know why I'm calling it that. I think I'll try to put off telling you exactly what it is I have in mind today for a little while. We'll get into some news stories. Uh, But if you want to go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, again, that's don'tletitgo.com, you can see the program notes that I have for today's show and also, I guess, a little teaser that will give you a hint as as to what I have in mind for the theme. Uh, Thanks. Uh, Rob in the chat room here is asking how I'm feeling I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm still coughing from the virus that I basically came down with. I must have caught it a day or two before, but I came down with it the day after Thanksgiving. And I'm still coughing from that. But last night, I actually had a four-plus-hour stretch of sleep. That wasn't my total sleep. I have more sleep than that. But that's probably the longest stretch of sleep that I've had since my surgery. So I'm doing better. But you probably still hear a little bit in my voice, and there is still a danger of me going into a coughing fit during this show. So if anybody does want to call in and uh, relieve me a little and have some discussion on some of the topics that I have planned, the number where you can do so is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Uh, And again, go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, check out all the program notes, and you can see what I have in mind. Uh, I just wanted to, this week, talk about, of course, some of the more important stories. And one of the things that we can do is something that we've done quite a bit on this show, which is do a little speech shredding. And as you know, Obama, I think it was on Sunday, gave an address to the nation supposedly going to tell us everything that he was going to do about ISIS, etc. And let's go ahead and, and actually start out by taking a look at that. Oh, Gene uh, says that glad I'm feeling better. And Fiona as well. Yeah, thank you guys for, for being here. Um, I see Ed is in the chat room too. He might be up for a little bit of a discussion on the phone later maybe. Who knows? Uh, sometimes he's flying though and he can't call into the show. It's it's really, it's really a bummer. But... Um, I don't know if any of you actually watched Obama give this address. I don't really think I could watch Obama give this address. I prefer that if I want to actually know what he said, 
that I just go to whitehouse.gov and print the thing out. And that's what I did today. Uh, this one's mercifully short. It's only about five pages compared to some of them. Um, <laughs> uh, selfishness in the chat room almost got me coughing. says, Obama just wanted the guest host to get kicked off of Fox. Yeah, the couple of commentators got kicked off of Fox for what they said in, in reaction to this speech. But I would say uh, what one of them said that Obama is a, is a pussy. And then the other one said something like, Obama doesn't even care about terrorism or you know, I can't remember what she said, but they get they got suspended from Fox, not kicked off totally, but suspended because Fox wants to seem fair and balanced. Um, but yeah, so what is it that Obama is actually trying to say to the American people about terrorism and, of course, ISIS inspired terrorism in particular and did anybody find this speech at all comforting or just infuriating? First of all, I mean, again, this is this is days after the attack, and um, this this is the parsed words of Obama about the killers in San Bernardino last week. He says, "So far, we have no evidence that the killers were directed by a terrorist organization overseas." or that they were part of a broader conspiracy here at home, right? So they, they have to have been directed. Inspired is not enough. You know, they have to be actually directed. And what does directed mean? Told exactly what to do each step of the way, right? So as long as it's not that, he can be safe making this statement. Or he says, or that they were part of a broader conspiracy here at home. No, no what's, what's a broader conspiracy? There's been stories saying that they had planned even bigger attacks themselves. There were two of them working together, so it wasn't this lone wolf thing. There's evidence that she had, you know, been perhaps inspired or, or somewhat directed overseas. So, you know, he's parsing his words here. He says, it is clear that the two of them had gone down the dark path of radicalization. This word radical again. I've seen a meme, by the way, out there. Some people are talking about how they're radicals for capitalism or radicals for individual rights the word radical needs to be abandoned it you know what is it that they are radical about that's the thing that's the most important and that's the thing that he will deny and never talk about uh, he says what they've done their radicalization consists of quote embracing a perverted interpretation of islam that calls for war against america and the west end quote and first of all, why is a president telling us what is or is not a good interpretation of a religion? What should a president be saying about a religion? Who is he to say he's some expert on Islam? And then, you know, everybody's got to read the Quran for themselves and decide what they think is or is not a perverted interpretation of Islam. But on my view, having read the Quran and seen all the calls to jihad and violence, in the Quran, there are plenty of them. I would say if you're going to say there's a perverted interpretation of Islam, just meaning that it's interpreted way apart from what you would literally read the thing to be saying, if there's a perverted interpretation, it's the interpretation that says that it's okay not to commit violent acts against infidels, against non-Muslims. That would be the, quote, perverted interpretation. I want a perverted interpretation of Islam. The one that these guys are going on is a literal completely taking the Quran at its word and taking up the call for jihad. Rob in the chat room says, 
how is this not an unconstitutional pr- promotion of religion? And I agree. Why should, you know, a president be saying this? Now, you know, I could see, like, if there is under, if we have a president, Ted Cruz, let's not get too excited, but if we have one, and if there was some Christian who went out there and did some violent thing because he's psychotic, and he tried to say that he's doing it in the name of Christianity, I could unfortunately see Ted Cruz saying this is not, you know, an interpretation of, because he's very knowledgeable, he calls himself a Christian, but Obama is supposedly not a Muslim, right? Who Who is he to be some expert on Islamic doctrine? I have no idea. Um, he says they had uh, stockpiled assault weapons, ammunition, and pipe bombs, so it was an act of terrorism designed to kill innocent people. Well, of course it was, but, you know, what was it that inspired them? It's, you know, the weapons themselves are not the most important. But, of course, that's what Obama has been pushing ever since, is that it's the weapons that they have stockpiled that is the most important. Now, John in the chat room, John Kenny here, he says, yeah, radical just means root, going to the base. And what is it to go to the base of Islam? It is to take the Quran and the calls for violence therein, literally. And, and that's what these two scumbags did. In uh, in San Bernardino, and he talks about so here's Obama continuing. Our nation has been at war with terrorists, terrorists, right? We've been at war with terrorists. He says since Al Qaeda killed nearly 3,000 Americans on 9/11, in the process we've hardened our defenses, airports, financial centers, etc. Intelligence and law enforcement agencies have disrupted countless plots. That's all true. Uh, he says, our military and counterterrorism professionals have relentlessly pursued terrorist networks overseas, disrupting safe havens, killing Osama bin Laden, and he says, decimating al-Qaeda's leadership. He always wants to keep saying that they've done this. Uh, in the meantime, he's allowed ISIS to grow out of control. So he says, now the terrorist threat has evolved into a new phase. He's trying to say, you know, you can't blame me. He says, as we become better at preventing complex, multifaceted attacks like 9-11... Uh, you know, know, he shouldn't say things like this because as soon as he says that, then there's going to be some complex multifaceted attack like 9-11, right? Because that's what's happened in the past. He says, oh, you know, we've contained ISIS and then suddenly ISIS is inspiring attacks in Paris and and likely here as well. It's not very well contained. He says, "Uh, terrorists are turning to less complicated acts of violence like the mass shootings that are all too common in our society. So he's just saying, oh, you know, it's it's too easy. It's less complicated. Uh, this is the type of attack we saw at Fort Hood in Chattanooga earlier this year and now in San Bernardino. At least he was good and didn't group a uh, non-jihad attack into that list. He says, and as groups like ISIL grew stronger uh, and as the Internet erases the distance, we're seeing the efforts by the terrorists to poison the mind of people like Boston Marathon bombers and San Bernardino killers. Now he says, you know, for seven years he's con- confronted the evolving threat each morning in his intelligence briefing, and now you know he's authorizing the U.S. forces to take out terrorists because he knows how real the danger is. And he says, as, you know, as commander in chief, I have no greater responsibility than the security of the American people. Well, at least he admits that that's his job. But will he admit how badly that he's failed in his job? Now, he says, uh, 
you know, this is what I want you to know. The threat from terrorism is real, but we will overcome. We will destroy ISIL and any other organization that tries to harm us. He says our success won't depend on tough talk or abandoning our values or giving in to fear. He says that's what groups like ISIL are hoping for. Instead, we'll, be, we'll prevail by being strong and smart, resilient and relentless, and by drawing upon every aspect of American power. So what do they want to do? They're going to hunt down terrorist plotters. And then he says in Iraq and Syria, airstrikes are taking out ISIL leaders, heavy weapons, oil tankers, and infrastructure. And he says, and since the attacks in Paris, our closest allies, including France, Germany, and the UK, have ramped up their contributions to our campaign. So he's trying to make it, you know, our campaign, and they're ramping up their contributions. As far as I know, there are some things that they're doing on their own, and I think France even asked for our help with something, and we said no, but Obama wants to pretend it's all him. Uh, then he says, we're going to continue to provide training and equipment to tens of thousands of Iraqi and Syrian forces fighting ISIL on the ground. Now, he doesn't say who it is that we're going to provide training and equipment to, and we already know that some of our equipment has wound up in the hands of ISIS. So who is it that he's going to arm? I know that Ted Cruz talks about the Kurds in particular, but that's not what Obama is saying. He's not specifying to whom we're going to give this stuff. And how does he know it's not going to wind up in the wrong hands again? He says in both countries we're deploying special ops forces who can accelerate the offensive and that we've stepped up the effort, blah, blah, blah. We're working with friends and allies to stop ISIL's operations, disrupt plots, etc. And then, um, but this is the thing, right? He's talking about just doing very targeted, very isolated operations. Um, we're going to counter the vicious ideology that ISIL promotes online, etc. And then he says, um, the <laughs> then he says the international community has begun to establish. A, a timeline to pursue ceasefires in Syria, as if that's some big factor in this. Why do we need to have ceasefires? Why can't we just focus all of our efforts on destroying ISIS? He says, doing this will allow the Syrian people and every country, including our allies, to focus on the common goal of destroying ISIS. Okay, that's fine. Um, but why not let's just focus on destroying ISIS and do it. He says, here's our strategy to destroy ISIS. Now, I thought we were already hearing that, but now he says, this is it. Um, it it's designed and supported by military commanders and counterterrorism experts together with 65 countries that have joined an American-led coalition. Now, he's telling you this. Why? Because he wants you to defer to the authority of these people, the military commanders, the counterterrorism experts, 65 countries, okay? So, sorry, I have to cough one second. I'm going to turn this off. Okay, getting too excited there. Have to cough. Okay, so we are back. Yeah, so so you're supposed to listen to this. You're supposed to be in awe of all of these experts who are behind his strategy, and you're going to defer to it because all of these experts and all of these countries agree with it. So what is it? Oh, he says, also, we constantly examine our strategy to determine when, the, when additional steps are needed. He says, that's why I've ordered the Departments of State and Homeland Security to review the visa waiver program under which the female terrorist in San Bernardino originally came into this country. Now, you listen how he makes it sound like his own idea. 
you know, I've ordered the Departments of State and Homeland Security to do this. Immediately, Republicans were calling for legislation to force this to happen. But here he does. He puts it in a speech, and he acts like it's his own idea. Uh, he says, and that's why I will urge high-tech and law enforcement leaders to make it harder for terrorists to use technology to escape from justice. We'll see some fallout from that in a little bit. He says, now here at home, we have to work together to address the challenge. What can Congress do? And then listen to this. He says, first of all, Congress should act to make sure that no one who is on a no-fly list is able to buy a gun. And then he says, what could possibly be the argument for allowing a terrorist suspect to buy a semi-automatic weapon? Now, first of all, he makes the jump from gun to semi-automatic weapon. And he you know, gives you this kind of argument from intimidation idea. He's trying to intimidate you. What could possibly be the argument for doing this? A terrorist suspect to buy. Now, is everybody on the no-fly list a terrorist suspect? And what sort of due process goes into that? I don't know. I'm perfectly happy to not have actual, you know, terrorist suspects not be able to buy weapons. Um, and in particular, some of these people might not even be American citizens, and we could talk about, you know, restricting all of this. But who's on the no-fly list? How do they get on, get on there? What sort of due process is there? And then suddenly their Second Amendment rights are stripped. He's going to have an executive order about this? I don't know. Um and also, does anybody even really understand what is semi-automatic weapon? Everybody thinks huge assault rifles right away. Yeah, Ed in the chat room says, what about due process? Has anyone ever heard of that? Yeah, is there due process? This is a, ma a matter of national security, he says. So you're just supposed to shut up and take it because this is a matter of national security. And if you disagree, you know, then you must not be for national security. It's just like NSA. He says, we also need to make it harder for people to buy powerful assault weapons like the ones that were used in San Bernardino. As if it's not difficult enough for people to do this already. And as far as I know, those particular weapons were not even legal there anymore. Um, and then he says, I know there are some who reject any gun safety measures. So he's, you know, dismissing these horrible people who reject any gun safety measures. But he says, you know, our intelligence and law enforcement agencies, know, no matter how effective they are, cannot identify every would-be mass shooter, whether that individual is motivated by ISIL or some other hateful ideology. Now, first of all, the most important risk right now is anybody who's motivated by ISIL. And then how is it that our intelligence and law enforcement agencies are not able to identify these people? I would submit it's because the Obama administration is putting a whole lot of stumbling blocks in the way of this and not allowing for the profiling that could make this process of identification a lot more efficient. But he's not going to own up to that. He's just saying, you know, look, we can't give up our American values. He always cites those. You know, it wouldn't be American to actually allow them to profile in a way that would make this process more efficient. So we just have to accept that they can't identify these people. And so what can we do? Well, of course, we have to make it harder for them to kill. How do we make it harder for them to kill? We make it harder for everybody, including all of our law-abiding citizens who would like to fight off terrorists, make it harder for them to get weapons. So then he says, uh, we have to put in place stronger screening for those who come to America without a visa so we can take a hard look at whether they're, they've traveled to war zones. Now, what about people who come here with a visa? Why not just look at that as well? <laughs> yeah, Tim in the chat room says, what if you're just a bad passenger? Maybe if you're just a bad passenger, 
then, you know, you would wind up on this no-fly list, and then you're suddenly going to be not denied the ability to purchase a gun because you've been a bad passenger? No, I don't think that's going to work very well. Um, so stronger screening, but only if you come here to America without a visa. I want people also who have visas to be screened more strongly. Oh. Then he says this. He says, finally, if Congress believes that we're at war with ISIL, then Congress should go ahead and vote to authorize the continued use of military force against these terrorists. He says, for over a year, I've ordered our military to take thousands of airstrikes. He says, I think it's time for Congress to vote to demonstrate that the American people are united and committed to this fight. And my question is, on any piece of legislation that's going to include this authorization, what other things is he demanding are included in that authorization for him to sign it and think that that's kudos? What is he asking for here? Because he, he must be asking for a blank check of some kind. I don't trust him. Um, so he says, let's say a word about what we should not do, right? And he says, we shouldn't have a long and costly ground war in Iraq or Syria. Why? Because that's what ISIL wants. And this has been a meme or discussion that's been going on out there. It's like, well, we can't do that because ISIL wants that. And Daniel Greenfield, I actually didn't include it in the program notes because I had a hell of a time with my browser today putting together program notes. But Daniel Greenfield has a, a piece about, you know, what ISIL really wants because everybody's been doing these, you know, think pieces about what does ISIL want. And some people think, oh, because ISIL has in their mind this sort of end times scenario, some ideal end time scenario where we're going to go to war with them and then they're going to ultimately be victorious. We can't play into that. You know, we can't actually go to the kind of war that they supposedly want. <laughs> so Greenfield comes back and he says, you know what ISIL wants? ISIL wants you dead. And yeah, what do you do with people who want you dead? You go to war with them. And if you need to have ground troops, then you do it. And Ted Cruz has laid out a plan. He has said, look, you go in there with overwhelming airstrikes. You don't do this isolated stuff that Obama described in this speech where you just go for the leaders and then a tanker over here and a little bit of infrastructure over there. You completely carpet bomb all of the ISIS strongholds. And Cruz, when he was pressed on Morning Joe about this, he said, yeah, sometimes there's going to be some civilian casualties in there. That's just a necessary you know, kind of side effect of this. But if you want to destroy ISIS, you have to conduct a proper war. And, you know, no wonder Obama's military advisors have supposedly told him there's not a, quote, purely military solution, because Obama puts all these constraints on it. But so he's saying no, no ground troops. And then he says, you know, we know that if we occupy foreign lands, they can maintain insurgencies for years, killing thousands of our troops, draining our resources, and using our presence to draw new recruits, end quote. That's, again, from Obama. And, again, this is all accepting Obama's context of the type of constraints that he would put on a military operation. Why should we occupy anything? Why not just go in there, destroy them, tell them that if you build up anything again, we'll come and destroy you again, and get the hell out? Why not do it that way? Um, why do you have to stay there and fight insurgencies and stuff? Um, you know, th th this is this is just bizarre. The other thing that Obama has in mind are rules of engagement that do not allow our men and women overseas to actually defend themselves. So if you send men and women overseas, 
and they're just going to be killed, that, of course, is not a very popular idea either. But that's the only type of war that Obama or even George Bush before him would allow. Uh, the neocon type approach or the Democrat type approach to war simply will not work. So, of course, he doesn't want to do it. Um, I do have a call. I'm going to go ahead and grab it here and see what kind of reaction we have to Obama's strategy. Hi, who's this? Hey, Bosch. Hi. So, uh, Bosch, what do you think of Obama's strategy here? He has one. <laughs> well, his strategy is to isolate ISIS from Islam. That's why he calls him ISIL, right? Ah, I well, like that one. ISIL, right? I mean, that's that's what it says. ISIL, ISIL, isolate, isolate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he never calls them by their name, Islamic State. Never says that. Um, also, a few things that you were talking about, you know, the ISIS-inspired terrorism. I mean, that's just, we never call talking about Al-Qaeda-inspired terrorism. We, we call it ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Islamic Jihad, Hamas, you know, Hezbollah. You know, that's terrorism inspired by by Islam. So it's Islam-inspired right. terrorism. Not ISIS inspired terrorism. It's crap. It's just his way of trying to again isolate them from Islam. And right. uh, in, term, in, ter- in terms of the San Bernardino, the uh, the uh, the uh, two male killers in San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. In terms of the two male killers, um, right? The two male killers. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Uh, the reason why the media held off putting out the picture of the female terrorist was because they had to confirm she was a female. And they were like, wait a minute, we're not sure. So it took about two or three days. I mean, they had some blood tests, had some I mean, to make sure, like, they wanted to find out. Anyway, uh, the first time I saw her, I said, woof, I mean, wow. Ugly, masculine. Okay, okay, yeah, uh-huh. I'm just saying, no, so I, I was, I was uh, it was an uh, Islam-inspired cartoon that I drew of Muhammad as a woman, and I used her as a model. I put a, a Hitler mm. mustache and a little beard around her face. Anyway, check it out on my blog. I, I so, bet, so I bet that made you really popular. <laughs> So those, yeah, actually, I got some love. But uh, those are the, the few things. Just one thing, and in addition, uh, Trump, right, about his uh, block all Muslims from coming into the United States. You know, and look, post 9-11, we should have stopped that anyway. We should have ended it there and, and there and then say, okay, let's wipe out the enemy and then maybe open up after the fact. We didn't do that. But Trump, as as recently as what, September, October, was saying, right. yeah, you got to bring him in. About the Syrians, you got to bring him in. You have to. You have to. So, yeah. So, so what changed? Yeah. What, yeah. What I mean, changed? you're you're kind of you're kind of skipping out of order on the on the notes that yeah, I have, yeah. but I do actually have a thing about his you know immigration, his proposed immigration ban. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you want anyway, to hold I'll, on I'll, and maybe. I'll let you continue. Sure. Sure. Well, sure. but let, let me let me no, let me ask I, you. I heard let you me. Let me. Let me. No, but let me ask you about a little bit about the next part of his speech, right? Because. He says what we we can't do, he says we can't let this fight be defined as a war between America and Islam. He says that too is what groups like ISIL want. And then he, you know, he says, I don't know who he is to speak for Islam himself, but he says ISIL does also not for speak ISIS. for Islam. He's speaking, no, but he's speaking for ISIS. He's saying that's not what, you know, what they want is this. He doesn't speak for Islam. And the fact is he was raised by Muslims. He was uh, born to a Muslim father, so technically speaking, has he ever renounced Islam as a question? He never has. So that's why people say, so he is a Muslim. Well, the fact is he technically sent himself out there as a, as a Christian. As I call him, he's not a Muslim, but he's Islam's bitch. I mean, he'll do anything for Islam. You know, it's like uh, he really has a love affair with Islam. He was raised by communist Muslims, never questioned the ideology of, of either. And he has become somewhat of a fusion of both, but without technically being a Muslim. 
he shouldn't be speaking for Islam. He shouldn't be speaking for Muslims. He shouldn't be doing that. And that's why people, again, keep bringing it up. But some people are determined, like, he is a Muslim, as if it's a major right. point. Right. As if anything's going to happen to him if he ever admits it anyway, let's just say. But what's the difference between if he is technically or, or isn't? We'll look at his policy. Well, and then, and then so li- listen to this, right? Because you know, he says it can't be a war between America and Islam. Now, but it is a you know, war. And, and, and it's, it's, and, well, but listen, so, so, so his first argument for this is, like, well, it that's what... It can't be. Well, it no, is. no, no. But he says, because that's what ISIS wants, right? That's what ISIS wants. And so basically we don't want to let them have what they want. But here's the thing. Yeah. And, and and first, I would I would never characterize it as a war between America and quote Islam. Um, I don't think that way either. But no, it's because, a, because and, it's, and it's the he, he purposely he purposely tries to make it sound ridiculous. But what yeah, is true yeah. is that Islam, if you take it seriously, is yeah. completely opposed to anything that America stands for. Certainly, the right yeah. to the pursuit of and happiness, which is the most fundamental Absolutely. thing about the United States that makes us different. And that's why he loves any Islam. Other, that's part of. That, that's part of his love affair with Islam. It is antithetical to America, to everything, to freedom, to the individual, completely. And that's why he's so locked into defending it to the death, at the expense of even people, liberals who probably, the secular liberals probably can't stand it when he when he praises Islam. But they're like, damn, you know, whatever. Some of them, I mean, at least in the privacy of their own homes. But right. it's just, it is, it is embarrassing. We have this guy in charge at this time, and uh, he's determined. And also, there was a story on Breitbart where he was, he dove into a, um, a public relations meeting with some advisors right during the attack in San Bernardino. A public relations meeting right away wow. to defend Islam and to, you know, whatever, and call them some, and they wanted, they wanted their, they wanted it to be non-Muslims to, you know, you know what I mean? They wanted it so badly for it to be non-Muslims that when it, when, it, when it came down to it, then they tried to say, okay, well, it was ISIS-inspired. Whatever that means. I mean, whatever that means. These guys have yeah, to I mean, in, in, you know, he talks about it. It wasn't directed. and It was unless they dictated every single yeah. step of the particular right. attack, then I guess they could get away with saying it's not, uh, well, you know, Well, that's the thing about Islam. Any Muslim could take it upon himself to read the Quran in the privacy of his own home and go out and kill an infidel and be in sync with Islam. doesn't have to join any group. Right. doesn't have to. He's a Muslim. He's Allah's slave to do with as he pleases. So what what do you think of Obama's attempt in the speech to call Muslims to help and work with the government First to all, reject the ideology? A, and, and, right? Well, there was a former FBI agent who said they have not helped us. He's on record. They have not helped us. The Muslim community have never helped us. And then you got some Muslim activist groups. I don't know if you heard the other day with NPR. They're a little bugged by his call for them to uh, – to seek out to the extremists. Yeah, no, exactly. I've got, the, right. I've got, I've got over in the program notes. By the way, anyone who's listening, go check out the program notes. Don't let it go. dot com. But yeah, it says uh, this is from Hot Air. Some Muslims are pretty irritated at being yeah. asked to help root out extremism. Yeah. Of course, these and extremism. some say that. Well, why would they? Why would they single us out? Why would we single you out? Every single day, there's a Muslim killing the Muslims across the world. That it doesn't right. happen every day in America is people, well, they, they tend to forget every single day. Check out the website called religionofpeace.com. They have a body right. count every single day, whether it's four to a hundred across the world every day. This happens. That's why even the idiot that, that he is, Obama, is, is still saying, guys, I mean, I'm trying to say Islam is peace, but you're not helping me here. You keep killing people. So right. please, try to root yeah, them now out here's, and make me look good. Here, 
here's this woman. Um, think she calls herself a quote Palestinian American activist. She says, she says the one from New York. Yeah, she says uh, we would never ask any. She said we would never ask any other faith community to stand up and condemn acts of violence committed by people within their groups. And she says they're not doing it the way that, Muslims are. Yeah, she says she says the fact that this is only directed at the Muslim community is something that I personally can't accept. See, see one thing also, sorry, and that's why that's why, uh, that's why Muslim the reputation is important because the fact is, care and every other group want to stop reasonable. Uh, requests to Muslims. I mean, they want to they want to stop any Muslims helping us find terrorists. And it's, it's just the, the end conclusion is the fact that they understand to some level these activist groups at least that these are the true believers of Islam, and they don't want to get in their way. They don't. Now they have a different path. They have a different uh, tactic. They want to use infiltration. They, they want to use stealth ways of, of getting Islam to our culture. While the other guys want to want to bomb us, but they're right. working hand in hand, and they're saying basically, don't stop them. Okay, we don't want them. We don't want to help stop them. We don't want you to stop them. And it just really reveals, uh, and especially the activist Muslims, they are on board with jihad. Till he said that they go out there and kill them, no, but they're on right. board with it. They have no problem with, uh, you know, Muslims killing infidels, especially Jews, in particular. Right. But, but I mean, uh, were you were you lady, were you at all were you were you at all surprised that he at least called out people in the Muslim community to reject the, uh, this? I am. No, but I am. I am surprised. I don't know. I don't know if he's done it before. I don't know if he's done it before. I, I think, think again. And then, of course, again, now you know, the Muslims again. are getting upset about it. Yeah. No, but he's like this. He's like Muslims. Muslims. I am kissing your ass like no one ever has. I am kissing Islam's ass like no one ever has. You've got to work in here. Stop making it tough for me to sell Islam as peace. That's right. what he's saying, really. And that's the frustration there because you guys are making it possible. So work with me here a little, okay? At least stop some guys every so often. Right, yes, but then I mean, I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that the reason that he did that is because he wanted to throw people a little bone because he wants them on board with what he brings up in the next paragraph, which is this. He says, he right. we shouldn't discriminate against Muslims, right? He says, <laughs> right. And this this is Obama. I'm going to read to you a little from him. Uh, quote: It's our responsibility to reject proposals that Muslim Americans should somehow be treated differently. He says, because when we travel down that road, we lose. That kind of divisiveness, that betrayal of our values, plays into the hands of groups like ISIL, end quote. And this is, this is when yeah. you start to get the, um, you know, Loretta Lynch going out there and saying that yeah. when people want to discriminate against Muslims, the Department of Justice is going to go after them. Um, I mean, what do you do if you are an employer of any kind and you see that shooting in San Bernardino? Don't you yeah. think that just out of pure self-interest and wanting to be safe, that you would be a little skeptical about your Muslim coworker or potential yes. employee? Yes. And that's the thing. And they want us to deny that reality. They want us to say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Even if he threatens you, don't worry about it. Okay. Until he does something, he's peaceful. Don't worry about it. And it's, it's tragic because they're allowing Americans to be killed is what they're doing. There was a whistleblower for the NHS who said basically he, his, he was on – I think he was watching these people. And they told him to stop. You know why? Because he was mm -hmm. isolating, isolating Muslims. And you can't do that. So what happens mm -hmm. is they get run – they run roughshod free. 
and end up killing 14 Americans. By the way, the, the Daily News scumbag, I, I, her name is Linda Stasi, I think. She said 13 were murdered. You know why? Because one of them was as bigoted as, as the killers. Scumbag. But anyway. So, so, so the death didn't even count. Yeah, it yeah. didn't count because he's, he's like Pamela Gilder, the, the author wrote. My God. But um, just the, the fact is everyone has every right to be as suspicious as possible about Muslims. They have every, every right to shun Muslims if they want, never to see them, never be around them. The fact is, you know, then you got to get to the point where people are saying deport them all and kill them all, and that's just that's a line I, I, I can never cross. I can't, and that's why I've uh, been, been separated from some people who I used to be, uh, I guess, friends book, um, friends on Facebook with, and friends book. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> but that's no, but that's that's the line that crosses it to the right. point where you are not American anymore. You want to kill them all? What does that even mean? Right. Especially the ones in America. This is sick and it's wrong. Absolutely. To uh, keep yourself away from them, sure. To not go to right, businesses but, but that it, you know Muslims have. It turns out that a, a, sure. you know Amer- American law, American law doesn't actually allow that. At least for employers above a certain number of employees, right, right, right. they will Americans. be they will they will have legal repercussions if they discriminate. And yeah. Lynch is making it known. It's like you know, if you decide you're going you to assert your self interest and actually you don't want to get killed by your coworker. We're going to nonetheless come after you, and you need to put yourself in harm's way. And moreover, yep. we're going to try to make it harder for you to get weapons as well. By the way, um, by the way, I'm sorry. Uh, one, one more thing that's going on now. Uh, there are articles left and right about uh, Muslims being quote-unquote attacked every day now. The mm-hmm. media has decided since the since the Muslim, since the backlash has never come since 9/11. 15 years they've been waiting for American backlash against Muslims. It, it has never come. So they're like, okay, it, it's not here. So let's just say it's here. Let's say that if you do something with a pig at a, at a mosque, throw a pig's head there, that's an attack. If you uh, shoot a Quran, that's an attack, a quote-unquote attack. So they're now some people now it it is it is true that sometimes if you um, you know give somebody something with like a, a bullet hole through it or something that that can be seen as a threat. It's not yes, itself an attack, but it Americans, is a threat. But side to side with 14 dead Americans, this is not the same thing. And that's what they're trying to pretend. It is. That that is the same thing. And there are stories yeah, I mean, about you know, I, I could see it. I could see it as somebody saying, look, I reject this book and the ideas that are inspiring this violence against look, our... I wouldn't do know. that. It's stupid. I know that. It's stupid. But don't equate it. And that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Like after Stanford, I mean, you, Virginia, you, you know, I, I have not heard... I have not heard of one single physical attack against a Muslim no, after the no. San Bernardino shooting. We would have known. It would have been yeah. front page news across the world. One Muslim got punched by an infidel who was angry. And that would have been headline news because we're not savages, because we're not Muslims. That's right. why. Right. Great. So, well, you know, they, I was, I was going to say thanks for I'm, calling in. Bosh, I'm going to go ahead and, and get on to All right. some of the other stories. Feel free to hang on and, and chime in again if uh, if there's anything else. Uh, All right. Oh, Rob, Rob here in the chat room is saying a lot of good stuff. He's saying, first of all, he's waiting for the ACLU to condemn Loretta Lynch for infringing on free speech, which she certainly is, because what in the world, you know, we talked about this last week, what does it mean when you say that we're going to uh, start prosecuting people who use anti-Muslim speech that, quote, edges toward violence. What in the world does that mean? It's very vague. 
uh, you know, talk about chilling, uh, that really would. So there's a new piece from Simpson. I assume that Simpson's piece centers on the issue of freedom of speech because he's an expert on that, on a legal expert on that, who works for the Ayn Rand Institute. So I definitely want to check it out. Would like it. Rob, if you want to plot that, you know, put that here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, that would be great. And then I can add it to the program notes later for people to check out. Another place to share links with me, by the way, and Rob does this often, is to go over at the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook and check out some stuff over there as well. I like to to spread good stuff around during the week as well, not just during the shows. Um, Okay, so what is Obama's agenda? We are just about at the end of the speech, by the way. You know, he says, uh, we don't have to you know, abandon our values, et cetera. We have a belief in human dignity, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, what religion you practice, you are equal in the eyes of God and equal in the eyes of the law. Now, of course, that's not true for any religion, pretty much in any religion, in the eyes of their God, the ones who are privileged or the ones who practice that religion, uh, but equal in the eyes of the law, certainly, uh, but that shouldn't mean that you will get away with something. If your religion is calling for violence and you say, you know, it is necessary for me to practice my religion in order to, and I need to, uh, you know, violate the rights of women. I need to do female genital mutilation as part of my religion. You know, our law will treat you the same as everybody else. In other words, they will treat that as a crime, regardless of whether you try to hide behind a cloak of religion. So that should be the case. But there are a number of people in this country now who who don't want that. One article that I shared with you over at the program notes uh, as kind of a counterpoint to Obama, who tried to make it seem that there's some you know few extremists who have this perverted interpretation of Islam and that most Muslims aren't like that. This is an article from National Review. The headline is "Dispelling the Few Extremist Myth: The Muslim World Is." overcome with hate. Uh, David French says, it's simply false to declare that jihadists represent the tiny few extremists who sully the reputation of an otherwise peace-loving and tolerant Muslim faith. In reality, the truth is far more troubling. Jihadists represent the natural and inevitable outgrowth of a faith that is given over to hate on a massive scale with hundreds of millions of believers holding views that Americans would rightly find revolting. And he says not all Muslims are hateful, of course, um, but so many are that it's not remotely surprising that the world is racked by a wave, uh, but not just a wave, wave after wave of jihadist violence. Um, and then he, you know, he has a whole thing about the, imagine there's a pyramid, there's broadly shared bigotry at the bottom, stair steps of escalating radicalism culminating in the jihadist armies. Uh, the base, the most broadly held in, uh, hatred in the Islamic world is anti-Semitism, staggering numbers of Muslims expressing anti-Jewish views. 2014 Anti-Defamation League released the results of polling 53,100 people in 102 countries for evidence of anti-Semitic attitudes and beliefs. The numbers from majority Muslim world are difficult to believe. It says a full 74% of North African and Middle Eastern residents registered anti-Semitic beliefs, including 92% of Iraqis, 
92% of Iraqis, the people that are men and women, went over to you know try to free under George Bush. 92% of them admitted in a poll that they're anti-Semitic, so maybe even more. 69% of the relatively secular Turks also share this view. 74% of the Saudis, who are supposed to be our allies. Trend towards Muslim anti-Semitism continues even when Muslim nations are far removed from the Arab-Israeli conflict. Solid majority, uh, 61% of majority Muslim Malays harbor anti-Semitic attitudes as well, whereas only 13% of the Buddhist ties are anti-Jewish. Next level are those committed to deadly Islamic supremacy. In multiple Muslim nations, overwhelming majorities of Muslims support the death penalty for apostasy or blasphemy. Okay, overwhelming majorities of them. This means that hundreds of millions of men and women support capital punishment for the exercise of the basic human rights of freedom of expression and free exercise of religion. And then there's charts to, uh, you know, substantiate this. Pew Research Center, okay? Uh, Moving beyond Islamic supremacy to the next step of the pyramid, enormous numbers of Muslims are terrorist sympathizers. They say it's still stunning to see how popular Osama bin Laden was early last decade, and even as his popularity plunged, as he grew weaker and more isolated, his public approval remained disturbingly high. What about ISIS? It says the latest polling shows that while a majority of Muslims reject ISIS, Extrapolating from the populations of polled countries alone shows that roughly 50 million people express sympathy for a terrorist army that burns prisoners alive, throws gay men from buildings, and beheads political opponents. And I heard just today that um, ISIS beheaded five Russians, I guess in some sort of act of defiance against Putin. I really hope that Putin slams them for all that he's worth. Says in Pakistan, a horrifying 72% couldn't bring themselves to express an unfavorable view of ISIS. That's disgusting. Now, of course, sympathy for terror, they say, is different from active support. And here's where the numbers are difficult to pin down. They say there's no reliable database that shows how many Muslims get how much uh, how of the, how many of them donate, give to jihadist charities, spread jihadist propaganda on social media support radical preachers or otherwise take concrete actions to advance the terrorist cause. Because that's really the thing. Who is taking a concrete action to advance the cause? Those are the people we go after. But then if you want to talk about how sympathetic you are to the rest, what I would say is most telling is the reaction that you've seen to Obama's speech, the outcry from Muslim communities saying, why is he asking for our help and support versus saying, yes, we do want to root out these so-called radicals within our midst, these people who take it seriously, because we don't. And, you know, particularly in the United States, the Muslims that are going to be here living in the United States, by and large, are going to be better than average, better than what the average that you're going to see in this poll. But if they are silent, and if they're offended with a call for assistance from a president who's been completely sympathetic to this community since day one and, you know, had said that thing overseas, that horrible statement about the future must not belong to those who 
slander the prophet of Islam. No, the future must belong to those people if we're going to preserve the right to freedom of expression, which is one of the main rights holding this country together right now. So, you know, but here's his president, right? And he's so sympathetic with this community. He has been supportive. You know, he's got out there, you know, Loretta Lynch threatening to prosecute people who discriminate against Muslims, who say bad things about them. And they get offended because he's asking them for help to root out people who would kill 14 of their coworkers and injure many more with a whole bunch of weapons that they've been stockpiling. It is disgusting that they would do that. And then it does make you wonder, you know, where their sympathies lie. So that's the answer to the idea that there's just a few extremists and and that's everything you know that you need to worry about. Now, in the chat room here, some of the topics that have been going on is how many Syrian refugees are they accepting in Australia? I think Fiona said that there's about 12,000 that you guys have agreed to accept after all of the screening. Is all of the screening accurate? Is it is it effective? One story that I saw, I didn't include it in the program notes. By the way, who else is having trouble with Safari? Because Safari this morning was my nemesis. I had beach ball after beach ball after beach ball. And then finally I went over to Firefox and life was a lot better. But um, yeah, Fiona says, yes, that's correct, 12,000. Um, one story that I saw recently is that ISIS is believed to be in possession of a printer that actually prints up blank passports or they can, you know, create passports. So they have the ability to forge incredibly realistic, if not completely realistic looking valid passports for the people that they want to send to infiltrate these groups of Syrian refugees and come in here and try to wage war against us. Justine says that she uses Safari no problems today so far. I've I've read some rumblings out there and uh, some of the rumblings, kind of anti-Apple rumblings, that people are not very happy with the current instantiation of the operating system. So it may be that Apple needs to do some tweaks in order to, to make this better. Um, I think that Bosch said he wants to come on and make another comment here. Let me get him back on the line live. You're there, Bosch? Yeah. Just so, just one thing. You talk about the... Um the majority of Muslims and whatnot, what they believe, and a lot of them support uh, these uh, terrorists. Not that they'll go out, out there acting, but we're talking about Muslims in the, in the Muslim world who all they know is Islam. And mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, if people who don't know, it's worth saying again, I was born and raised here in the Bronx by European Albanian Muslims, and misogyny was the given. Our, our, my mom was beaten. Uh, almost every woman in, in my family was beaten. Uh, right. Jew hatred was the given. Uh, Hitler was a great man. So this is just for even in America, this kind of evil uh, just completely goes across 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 the board with the average Muslims. So that's something to keep in mind also. Not that they'll go do anything, or, but the fact is they hold these ideas that are evil against right. people, against uh, women, against Jews, and also against others. I mean, it, it was all the point of those others, the others, meaning those outside of our of us. Of our of our family whatnot, so it's just worth right. mentioning. That, that's all. So definitely. So so in yeah. your mind, even here in the United States, at least that base of the pyramid, as the article was yeah. referring to it, 
of anti-Semitism and bigotry in general, it was shared yeah. broadly. Yeah. Yeah. But also one thing, they uh, they don't share it with others. You know I mean? It was like a, a dirty secret almost, almost whispered at times. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because right. they, a part of them knew they were American enough to know that this is not good. This is not good. Uh, my mom mourning the birth of my nieces, mourning as if someone that, died. That is an unbelievable story. It is unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I thought something terrible happened, and I found out. I said, what? So this is just the the nature of the religion, and especially those who don't understand it as much. They they adopt these horrific ideas, and because part of them, without them right. reading, without them reading the Quran. Yeah, right. because nobody That's bothers to actually read the book anymore either. Right? I'm, I'm the only one in my family I think who read it. I really, <laughs> I really believe that. I don't know if anyone that can pinpoint it and say, yes. I think that's true in other religions as well. There's many Christians I'm sure that haven't actually read their Bibles, right? Yeah. Yeah, But but the fact is, when we're at war, I think it's important for those who are doing these horrific things to say, wait a minute, are they being sanctioned? It's important for them to find out for themselves, and they don't want to. They want to pretend that they're not. All right. Right. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks uh, thanks for chiming in there again, because he definitely got the background and, and the expertise in that area. So... You know, Obama gives this speech and he wants us to not discriminate against Muslims. Don't consider it a war between America and Islam. You know, put it in the most ridiculous sounding terms possible. Put the whole thing about, you know, the guns in the most ridiculous terms possible. You must be against all gun safety measures. You must be for giving semi-automatic weapons to terrorists if you oppose me, etc. So he puts this all out there. Now we learn, thanks to Jihad Watch, this is an article that uh, Bosch actually mentioned uh, when he was talking. Obama, uh, to the NSC and the FBI, they are told to downplay the Jihad terror angle of San Bernardino. Right, The Jihad terror angle makes him look bad because it makes him look like he's not doing his job. He has to, as commander of chief, as president of the United States, he has to own up to the idea that his primary job is to keep Americans safe. And if it makes it look like he hasn't done that job, which is true, he has not, he has crippled our uh, law enforcement and intelligence operations by having them, I mean, they have, you know, what you would call rules of engagement where they're not allowed to profile the way that sh- they should be able to. And so there is a huge amount of responsibility that goes on to uh, Obama. Now, some of the law enforcement would complain that the reason that they're not able to do as well is because they're not able to you know, read encrypted emails uh, or things like this. But I, I say no. You get profiling and you have the ability to investigate per what you learn by that profiling, you're going to be fine, and we can still have rights to privacy and everything else. Privacy, we'll talk another day. That was a shorthand. But um, anyway, Obama has told them from the very beginning that they're to downplay the jihad terror angle, even though this was a completely premeditated, well-funded jihad attack. And and I think they had bigger aspirations for what they were going to do. They didn't get away with nearly as much as they wanted to. Um, But no, that's not what it is. What it is is people are able to get guns too easily, and you don't want to ruin ruin my narrative about mass shootings in general and that it's not really about Islam and everything else. 
he wants to cover for that. And that's exactly what Robert Spencer's writing over here at Jihad Watch. Uh, his first thought, Obama's, was for a public relations strategy to cover for Islam and conceal the failure of his stance towards the jihad because it has been a huge failure. Um, this is the uh, Daily Caller was the original breaker of this story. Obama told NSC and FBI to downplay the terrorist angle of San Bernardino. It says the FBI has taken the heat for failing to immediately classify the San Bernardino shootings as terrorism, but a new report shows that FBI reluctance could have been due to external pressure from the White House. This is sounding like 1984, right? A source told Jack Murphy of SOFREP, I don't know what that acronym stands for, it says the FBI instantly believed the shooting, which left 14 dead, to be a clear act of terrorism. The White House, however, didn't feel the same way and quickly moved in to squash the terror classification. The source added that as soon as the shooting took place, Obama convened a meeting with the National Security Council, the heads of the other federal enforcement agencies, to discuss a public relations strategy. Right. Uh, so as you remember, with the news cycle, I think it was about two days later, I remember it was about Friday afternoon or so that they were finally saying, okay, we'll call it terrorism now. Friday afternoon, the news cycle for the week is over. No one's really looking anymore. It's safe, you know, as far as Obama is concerned, to actually admit at that point that it's terrorism. But they wanted to try and quash that. Of course, the American people aren't stupid, and they know terrorism when they see it, in, especially in something like this. And so he was forced to at least address the issue in his uh, speech to the nation. But he's still, he's, he's still trying to spin it. And why? Because what he wants to do is he wants to now restrict our access to guns. I have a story here from examiner.com, Obama's executive action on gun control. As far as I know, the words are, oh, he's ads, these pop-up ads. Uh, the word is that these are all empty and all these executive actions that he's making this big song and dance about aren't going to do anything more than is already done out there. Um, yeah, I've got about five pop-up ads on one site. It gets very annoying here. It says, it appears as though President Obama will soon sign an executive order that wouldn't do a thing to stop gun violence, but would impede a person's ability to protect their family. According to Valerie Jarrett, Obama's advisors are finalizing a proposal that would expand background checks on gun sales without congressional approval. Why she would emphasize without congressional approval, I guess the idea is he's working unilaterally and they're not doing their job, so he'll do it, probably. Uh, first of all, President Obama's motivation, says the examiner, is to take San Bernardino off the front page. He doesn't want people focusing on how his anti-terror policies have failed miserably and how they led to this attack. And there's, you know, at each day there's more and more pieces of information coming in about how there were failures in every step of the way, including the, the visa process, uh, in order to, uh, you know, they didn't thwart this. They failed to thwart this attack. Second, says the examiner, President Obama wants to get the Democrats' base fired up because Hillary Clinton is not inspiring people to support her. So the only way that she wins next November is if Jeb Bush or Donald Trump is the GOP nominee. The examiner thinks that they're worried about Rubio. If they're worried about Rubio, 
that's garbage. The person that they really should be worried about is Cruz, but obviously the examiner doesn't like Cruz, so they don't even mention Cruz. Uh, but then the examiner goes on to say, Obama's executive action isn't worth the paper it's printed on. Uh, they say that they're exploring closing the so-called gun show loophole that allows people to buy weapons at gun shows and online without a background check. Now, they say that this uh, gun show loophole is a myth and that basically anybody who does sell, if you're federally licensed, you have to run the check or show that the person is otherwise able to purchase, that they're authorized. One second, I'm going to cough, unfortunately. (coughs) I might end up having to bring somebody on again because I'm getting into the the coughing again. Right around 1 o'clock, see? I I was debating. I was like an hour, hour and a half. Here I am. Um, anyway, there are a number of states who have enacted universal background checks anyway so that there isn't even an exemption for same-state private firearms transactions. That's the only exemption right now. Excuse me. God. I'm sorry. This is bad. I should get a, um, a lozenge or something. Do I have one? If I get a lozenge, I'm going to be making horrible noises. Let me let me see if I can get Bosch on the cover <laughs> cover for me for a second. I may have Ed calling in as well. Hey Bosch, hey. you're there? Hey. I'm driving so, so it might be a little loud. Sorry. What'd you say? I'm driving, so it might be a little loud. Oh, okay. Well you want you wanna step in and save my voice for a second? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, so sad. I can't wait for this virus to go away. This is so terrible. <laughs> I don't know, maybe just, uh, can you end it at one? I mean, if you have to. I could, but I, I, I want to get to a couple other stories, and then I want to get to the actual uh, inspiration yeah. for the title, which I haven't done yet. <laughs> yeah, drink some water, drink some water, take the uh, lozenge. Right, right, I got a I lozenge thought, sitting here. I should say something also, the LA Times uh, had uh, the decency uh, to post the uh, pictures of the 14 victims and have profiles for each one of them. And yeah. they, uh, you know, they they interview the families and friends, and which is really, I think, pretty rare. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if that happens often. I I just I thought I thought that was good, and that was uh, a good thing to do. Well, right, day, and and and, yeah. and what did what did Mark Zuckerberg do by contrast? Right, what did Mark oh, Zuckerberg man. do? He goes out there, Mark and I, I put a, I put a link I put a link to this in my program notes. His little you know statement basically promising that Facebook would continue to be a welcoming environment for Muslims. That's his first and only concern, as far as I know. He didn't make any other statement. No, he also said something. Basically, he said, you have a safe space here at Facebook. And it's like, wait a minute. You are responding to Trump? Did you respond to the San Bernardino massacre? Mm -hmm. Zuckerberg? Did you have anything to say about that? But Americans who were butchered in 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 Islam by, by Muslims? No. Well, and moreover, in in that statement, he mentioned only the Paris attacks, not even San Bernardino. Absolutely right. And it was after San San Bernardino that he wrote his thing. So he's like, he takes it as a given that Muslims are going to kill Americans. That's that's it is what it is. That's a given. But don't you dare say you won't allow all Muslims into the country. Don't don't dare say that. That's what he was really bothered by. Yeah, I mean, and and I I did um I did by the way put links to both Trump's. You know the issue of Trump's proposal to uh, to ban Muslims. Um, there's I mean, a story. Look, you I've... just can't trust them. 
again, he wanted to bring in Syrians recently. Now he says ban them all. I don't know where this guy's coming from. He, he don't know where he's coming from. But it sure as hell gets some headlines. And that's why the reason, the day he proposed that was the day that Trump, that uh, Cruz uh, leapfrogged him in Iowa. So he said, you know what? Let's ban all Muslims. Who knows? You know? Now, see, now you've, now you've scooped my good news because part of my good news at the end of the show is that Cruz did leapfrog him in Iowa. Um, now, Cruz, um, he's actually proposed a bill to allow state governors to bar the placement of Syrian refugees in their states. But as I understand right. it, he also has rejected Trump's proposal in terms of across the board banning uh, all he Muslim been, he, has, he, has been a, he hasn't been explicit, but he basically... He did disagree, but I don't know on what ground exactly. Yeah, been, well, this, this, is, this is a National Center. Review article that I have. Uh, Cruz rejects yeah. Muslim immigration ban. And, and uh, what they say is they they say, you know, Cruz was doing all this about giving the governors the authority to reject the Syrian right. immigrants. And then he says, at the, or the, our author here says, at the same time, Cruz broke ever so gently with rival Donald Trump's more radical call for a temporary ban on all migration from Muslim countries. Now, mind you, I think it would be okay to have a temporary ban on all migration Absolutely. from Muslim countries, and no I think that would be fine. No he says, Cruz apparently said he disagreed with the idea but is refusing to comment on the constitutionality. Quote, I am focused on my policies and the solutions that I am proposing to the real problems in this country, he said. Uh, he says, certainly in the media... There has been no shortage of criticism of Donald Trump, and I do not believe the world needs my voice added to that chorus, et cetera. So, you know, that's fine also. for him. Um, yeah. I think it's I think it's a good strategy for him not to attack Trump and just let Trump look that's as empty as he is, right? Um, also, it's like Trump, Trump says these things, right? He gets a lot of applause, he gets a lot of, but the fact is, as president, listen, yeah, President Trump, would he do that? Can he do that? Will he get any backing on that? You know, people want people going to vote for him for what he's saying. He'll do. And you know, this guy, you can't trust him. He says one day, I love the Muslims. Right. He right. says, Oh, you, 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 you guys are pathetic making Muhammad cartoons. He's against Muhammad cartoons. Right. Now he's what? Now he's against all Muslims. I mean, I, which one is it? I don't know. But also, one thing, uh, Cruz was at an event, and uh, it was a private event. But uh, some members who were there, some people who were there reported, I guess, out there that he was critical about Trump for some reason. I think it was in terms of uh, uh, my friend just 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 texted me and said that it might have been him saying that he basically is not equipped to have the butt. I think he was suggesting that. And the word got out there. So Trump tweeted, ah, 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 it looks like Cruz is about to attack me. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so Trump is ready to start counseling. Let's probably call him that Canadian bacon guy. You know, I, I think it's I think it's gonna be really fun to watch Cruz make mincemeat of will. Trump. But Cruz won't do it until Trump strikes first. I think. Yeah. I mean that that's the message yeah. that I'm getting here. And I and I think it's a, a perfectly good strategy. Hey Bosh, that's I think I've right. got Ed I think I think I've got okay. Ed calling in, so I wanna go ahead and give him a chance to chime in. So thanks for rescuing me in my coughing fit. And now I'm just rudely uh basically sucking on a on a cough drop while I'm talking to all of you. So I'm sorry about that. Is this Ed? This is. How are you? Hi. Th thanks. Uh, thanks for calling and, and saving me. I was having my, 
my one o'clock talking thing. I don't know whether I have anything interesting to say, but I can I can always talk. Talking is no problem. Um, so um, <laughs> what do you what do you think of all the hubbub about Trump and his uh, Muslim immigration ban? Um, well, uh, I I certainly uh, in principle, of course, I don't agree with a complete ban on uh, immigration or, or Muslim immigration because there might be Muslim refugees that we could use. I, I definitely believe we have to be more selective. Um, what I right. like about uh, the, the Donald, um, and I said this on Facebook the other day, I, I, if, if Donald Trump didn't exist, I mean, imagine a world where Donald Trump didn't exist, right? Imagine mm-hmm. a world where where Jeb Bush is at 35% in the polls and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, Marco Rubio is at 15 and Ted Cruz is at three and, and uh, the establishment is happy and nobody's making any waves and the, and nobody tuned into any of the debates because there was, there was obviously nothing interesting to see. And in other words, imagine if it was like the last election or the election before that, or the election before that, um, I really got to give uh, Trump a, a, a hand for doing two things. One is, uh, you know, making this election interesting and thus drawing in a lot of people. And mm-hmm. two, like I said, if he didn't exist, we'd have to invent him because who else could make the firebrand, you know, Ted Cruz look like the moderate, uh, uh, you know, establishment to right. the great. To the, to the great unwashed. I mean, he's doing us all such a tremendous favor um, mm-hmm. by by making Cruz uh, look, um, you know, look moderate. And there is there is an obvious uh, political. There is, I, it's stupid, but there is an obvious political advantage to not looking like an extremist. And you and I understand that that's dumb, but. That's true in our particular uh, races, and so th- I love the fact that the, uh, that uh, the Donald uh, is doing what he's doing. I, I don't think he's going to. I could be wrong. I don't think he's going to win. Um, yeah. No, I mean, the other but, thing too is but, there 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 probably is a certain amount of people in the potential electorate out there that he is mobilizing. I don't know what you would call that group, right? But just as Cruz is out there mobilizing the evangelicals, Trump is mobilizing the uninvolved knee-jerk people. I don't know who these people are. What what would you call them? I'm sure there's people out there that have analyzed this. I I haven't seen any. I mean, like I said, I went to the Cruz-Trump thing in Washington and sat next to a, a Trump supporter. And like I said, it was very inchoate. Her, you know, she just wants to basically stick a big middle finger at the D.C. establishment. And uh, right. she thinks Trump will be able to do that. And, you know, I can't, right. I can't blame her for that, really. And and I, uh, I do think, you know, um, I don't know if you remember, Gavin McGinnis was on Greg Gutfeld's show, and he horrified Gutfeld because Gutfeld does not like Cruz. But Gavin predicted that uh, Trump was going to be like this big snowplow, basically getting all these other candidates out of the way, and then behind him would be the next president, Ted Cruz. He's basically making way for them. And I don't know if that's how it's actually going to play out or not. It has the potential to do this. But 
there are plenty of people who know that if you want to give a middle finger with some actual substance behind it to the establishment, you want Cruz. You don't want Trump. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. Um, oh. I like the fact that uh, Cruz has been uh, has been disagreeing with Rubio. Rubio is the kind of a neocon. We can we can fix the world kind of thing. Where Cruz is a yeah. more eh, we can't. Let's just kill the enemies. Kind of you know, and, and when I've I've watched um, I've watched Cruz a couple times answering the whole stuff about Rubio, and he's got certain talking points that are all very purposefully put in there to help him at this critical point in the campaign. So you know he'll um sorry one sec <coughs> he'll mention for example how much money Rubio is spending to you know smear Cruz in Iowa for example. Um, mm-hmm. And that and that makes Rubio or not Rubio but Rubio's pack right the pack uh, was it two hundred thousand yeah. or I can't I can't remember how much it was but you know it, it it sounds to the average American voter that it's horrible that Rubio's out here spending this money to lie about Cruz right yeah I mean that's uh, he he he's definitely lying about the you know the what do they call it the they always have terrible names for these bills. The America Freedom Act, the thing that repeals the bulk metadata collection, which Cruz supported and Rubio didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And he's definitely lying about Cruz on, on that. Um, I don't know. I, I'm you know, kind of upset. I don't mind if he says something like, well, I think we should collect bulk metadata. I think that would be very useful. But, you know, to put out the commercials, uh, I mean, I would disagree, but I would think that's, that's a that's a position, um, but to put out the commercials, uh, you know, accusing uh, Cruz of making us less safe, and you know, when it was a you know huge bipartisan majority in both the House and the Senate to get rid of this program, I think that that's a big negative on my view for Rubio. Cruz has a oh yeah, no, that. no, and 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 no, Cruz yeah. is is clearly better on that issue, and with some education from me, he could be even better. So. Someday I'll get yeah, to I mean, if he, um, if, yeah, and he, he's trying not to attack uh, the other people. I mean, he says he disagrees with people, but he doesn't attack them. You know what I mean? He doesn't defame them. Um, right. And so I think he's trying to play this long game of trying, you know, if he, he said quietly that, I, well, that's not my plan for immigration when asked about Trump's Muslim immigration ban. I mean, clearly we have to do something, right? I mean, the, the number of, uh, the, the the ability to screen is zero, right? So I mean, we we, we have to do something, and uh, I I don't quite I don't quite know how you would do it. Um, well, I mean, beyond what I told you a couple months ago on the, um, you know, I don't know anybody who was thinking about doing that about you know sort of posting a bond to come in, but uh, right, but right. I don't know what you do in the in the in the short term. Certainly, we didn't. We let enemy aliens in in World War II. Um, the most famous enemy aliens that we let in in World War II uh, come to the United States and live here were uh, the Von Trapp family singers of The Sound of Music. Mm. Um, and and uh, they have a, I read their book because, you know, Sound of Music, who doesn't love it? And uh, they had to, uh, you know, they had to report to an office every week or – Eh, every two weeks, something like that, 
they had to get permission to travel out of the area. They they settled first in Philly and then they moved somewhere else. Um, okay. And you know, it's just that there was a there was a system in place. Where obviously, they weren't enemies of the United States. Um, they were escaping um, Hitler, but you know, technically, they were enemy aliens, and they had to. There was a process to go through. Um, and so it was. Uh, you know, there is very much uh, process that's in place to do some of this. I don't think anybody right. would, I don't think the left would like it. And and um, it should be even easier to do now with all the technology available and everything else, you know, put little transponders yeah. on the cars and stuff like that. Um, can I, can I shift you to a different topic? We don't have an enemy. Well, well yeah, I mean, I, I want to bring up that we don't have an enemy, right? Because the, the Obama asked for a weak need, uh, authorization to use military force instead of a declaration right. of war. And the, apparently the Congress, the one that's circulating in Congress, I saw a thing today, is even worse than the one Obama proposed. Wow. Um, as in, and so, and that's the Republican Congress. It's even worse. My view is they should send, they should do a declaration of war, you know, against the Islamic State, say, you know, the Islamic State should be utterly destroyed and send that up to Obama and let him veto it. Uh, that would right. be my uh, that would be my way of doing it. Right. So go ahead and have an authorization to use force, but with a particular objective that Obama doesn't want tied to it, and make him veto it. That that was a good proposal. That's what you wrote yeah. in the uh, chat room here earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what else? Now let me let me let me shift you to another topic because because um, you know Google is talking about deploying, and I'll use that language purposefully, deploying a hate speech spell checker. Yeah, I don't. Have you heard? Have you, you know, heard about this? Nobody uses. Yeah, I did. I read the article that you posted on your thing. I, I, I don't quite know how that's going to work because nobody uses Google for anything other than search. I mean, you have to be crazy to use any of their other products. They're all awful. Um, but I, I maybe Gmail. I suppose they'll, they'll like if you say Muslims suck in your email, it'll, it'll, it'll change it to what like Muslims are just fine, perfect people. I don't know what it's supposed to do, uh, but um, it's humorous. It really is humorous. The real funny thing, it's not funny, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Saudi Arabia was just put on in in the chairmanship of the UN um, uh, Human Rights Panel. Saudi Arabia is now the chairman of it. Yeah. And and the, the... Organization of Islamic countries, um, organization of the Islamic conference has been pushing to make insulting Islam uh, a transgression of international law for for many years. Oh, of course, of course. And and I think that um, I I think that this, you know, the Zuckerberg statement, the Google statement, the Obama, every Obama speech. They're they're trying to prepare us for that. That that is what they want. They want right, to right. make in, insulting. And and, and this is what we have. I mean, I don't I don't know. Buddhism. I don't I don't know how Google kind of plans to get us to incorporate this spell checker for all the things that we do on the web. But apparently, they have some kind of master plan for that. Uh, we know that, of course, Google also owns YouTube. And what I've heard recently right. is that. YouTube is refusing to monetize 
videos based on content. So, for example, uh, Sunny Loman, I think you're familiar with her. She has all these I do watch videos. Her. Yeah, videos, some of them humorous, some of them not, but commenting from a you know, fairly extreme perspective, namely ours, on a lot of these issues of the day. And I guess Google slash YouTube has decided that some of them are so offensive that they won't monetize them. And so this is the kind of environment that we have. I mean, you know, Facebook and and Google are two huge companies by which we distribute content out there on the net. And it's not censorship, obviously. But you also do wonder whether these companies are working in conjunction with the government. I put another article in the program notes here. There's uh, Pratik Talal, who's a, a listener to the show. He gave me this article a little bit ago about startup leaders embracing lobbying as part of the job, that part of the culture of Silicon Valley now is to kind of have this relationship with government and that they just see it as kind of a necessary thing that they have to placate the federal government in order to get what they want, the freedom to do what they want. And, you know, Zuckerberg, Facebook is under that, you know, consent decree with the FTC or whatever about the privacy stuff. I don't know what sort of you know, hooks the government has over Google, but I'm sure they have some hooks in them too. It, it's kind of scary. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, objectivists yourself and others have made the, uh, Ayn Rand herself made the quite correct distinction between um, government suppression of speech, which is censorship, and private suppression of speech, which is not censorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so and I, and I do agree with that. But I don't think we're in the private universe. I don't think in these companies we're in the private universe anymore. You know, you know right. what I mean? Too much, too much, too much cronyism it, and or, you know, too much government leverage over what these companies do. And, and too much influence, you know, the, the, the company begs for favors, right. the government begs for favors, they both beg for favors with each other, they get in bed together. Google, you know, was one of the big pushers of this debt neutrality thing um right right I, I i you know i'm i'm not willing to go and say obviously what google is doing or, or what facebook are doing is um is not censorship i'm not willing to say it's not censorship. i'm not i'm who knows who's who made what call and put what pressure I mean, we all read atlas shrugs we know what goes on behind the scenes you know and, the, and it's probably 10 times worse today than it ever was when cuffy meigs uh, talks to Jim Taggart, you know, I mean, it's way worse than that. Um, right. So I, I think it's, I, I think the use of the word censorship is, is justified in, in some of these cases. I mean, it's being pushed at the UN. It's being pushed by our own president. It's being pushed by uh, government leaders. And then it's being adopted by uh, crony uh, companies who rely on the government for special right. favors and, you know, I mean, I, that that sounds like censorship to me. I mean, I I agree. I'm I agree. Not going to say it's not censorship. Now, listen, Ed. In in the last few minutes, I actually want to get to the theme. Do you know because oh. you are a fan of Rand? Do you know why I called the show "Pain, Danger, and Enemies"? Ooh, no, I don't. So you're going to have to uh, tell us all. Uh, okay. Okay, so what what if what if I read you 
a quotation from Rand and then see what you say. Never okay. think never think of pain or danger or enemies a moment longer than is necessary to fight them. Do you know the context? Yes, that's that certainly sounds uh, like Rand, and it certainly sounds like something that John Galt would have said to Dagny and Atlas Shrugs, but I don't recall specifically the um, the context. Okay, so people who haven't read the novel will need to just kind of shut off the show for now. Uh, check out the program notes because i got a couple of good news stories and, and things like that because I don't want to spoil Atlas Shrugs for anybody who has not read it yet. But now we're going to go ahead. We're going to go in and talk about this. Because I went, first of all, I've always loved this quotation. And I was thinking about it this week because there's so much terrible news. We've got these jihadist attacks. We have a president who is obviously not only just staying his course with his ineffective measures, he's trying to do things to put us even more in harm's way to keep us from protecting ourselves, either by isolating ourselves from Muslims, which I would say that people are justified in trying to do at this point, given what happened to the co-workers in San Bernardino, um, keeping us from arming ourselves, right? Um, the, the news is, is not very, uh, you know, op- optimism-inspiring, let's say. And so what do you do? I mean, you what you do, you obviously have to make sense of it. You have to figure out at points where you can actually take action to preserve your values or further your values, that you're ready to do that. But otherwise, not mire yourself in this. And that was the thought that I had this week. So let me tell you the context for this quotation, right? If, if you remember, at a certain point, Dagny and Galt are both back in the city. And it, it's easy for her to find him, actually, it turns out, because you can just look him up. He's on the rolls of the, you know, the Taggart Transcontinental pay uh you know, paycheck, pay, payrolls or whatever, um, there's an address, you can find him. And for a while she resists actually going, but then she goes to his apartment and finds him there. Do you remember this? I do. You do. So when she shows up, immediately what does Galt say? Oh, my God, you're asking me if I've memorized that, Lashard. I I mean, I remember the scene, but I... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um I had to go look at this I had to go look at this yesterday because I wanted to be reminded of this. But um I'm actually amazed at the context here because as soon as she shows up, he knows that she's been followed by the goons and the thugs that are looking for right. him. Right? Because he's just given this right. incredible speech. The whole nation is stirred up and perhaps on the brink of some sort of revolt. And unless the goons can get Galt on their side or make it appear that way, they're toast, right? So the goons are on their way. He knows it. Dagny doesn't think she's followed, but he says, no, definitely they are. So they have a little discussion about, you know, what's going to happen when they come. And then when he knows, I mean, they're they're just two minutes away, three minutes away. And this is when he says, look, we should enjoy the time and the moment that we have here right now. Don't think of them now. He says, you know, basically once they have their strategy, don't think of them now. Never think of pain or danger or enemies a moment longer than is necessary to fight them. You're here. It's our time and our life, not theirs. Do not struggle not to be happy. You are. 
this is moments away from these goons coming in, taking away from Dagny this tremendous recently discovered value that she didn't know she was looking for this man her whole life. Um, you know, at the, by the same token, he was waiting for her for 12 years, ever so patiently. They're finally, right, they're here, but they're on the brink of having it taken away. And he's saying at that particular moment, two or three minutes away from these goons showing up, don't think of them now. Is that amazing? Yep. That's the plan. I mean, it is the plan, but I mean, you know, obviously this is fiction. This is an idealized scenario. These people have, you know, Dagny and Galt have tremendous psychologies. Galt in particular is, is so strong from his years of, you know, solidifying himself in this uh, struggle. But, you know, to be able to say, okay, I can set that aside and enjoy this moment. I think that was tremendous. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So I would say let's think, concentrate on what we can do, not get ourselves mired in all of the tremendous bad news. And in fact, I've got only a minute left, but I'm urging people to go and check out a couple of good news stories. Venezuela opposition defeated the socialists, maybe just because they can't get toilet paper, but maybe it's more than that. We can be hopeful. Ted Cruz is leading in the new Iowa poll against Donald Trump, despite Trump's, uh, you know, kind of monopolization of the news media. So not too bad, right, Ed, for a week? Not too bad. And next Thursday, Star Wars. That's right. Next Thursday, going Star on Wars. A, you can be happy about going that. Going on a social well. media blackout starting about now. Don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> Okay, I understand that. Okay, well, thanks, Ed, for saving my voice in these last few minutes, and uh, I'm going to go no ahead and problem. let you go now. Thanks, everyone, who is listening and being patient with my coughing throughout today's show. Go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com, if you want to check out the program notes. Pick up Atlas Shrugged if you haven't, although anyone who hasn't is probably not listening right now. And uh, I'll talk to you. Wait. Okay, take care. <laughs> 